0: Let's pray, and then we will get into the Word of God. Just bow our heads and hearts. Uh, gracious Father in heaven, Lord, we humbly come before you again uh, to thank you and praise you for you alone, our God. And we do ask, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit would teach and speak to us, Lord, that I would simply be one of your vessels um, to herald uh, your message, Lord God, and we just pray that um, as your words go forth, Lord, that ears would be open, minds would be open um, to understand, to hear your, not just to hear your word, O oh Lord, but to do your word, O oh Lord, and that we will be blessed by it um, and that we would walk in it, Lord. And so, Lord, we love you and thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is true, um, that it's alive and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword and breaking bone and marrow, piercing soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And so, Lord, we're open before you tonight. Examine our hearts. We lay our hearts before you, Lord, to have your way as your word comes down and does not return into You voice. So bless those who are uh, not here, those who may be on their way, and those who are watching online. Uh, may they be blessed by your word, by your Holy Spirit. And so we commit this time to your trust, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, let me get to Proverbs 2. Hold on. Amen. All right, quick background on Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. Most of them written by Solomon. Right, we got the we got the. Right, I like it when you know. Amen. So King Solomon, mainly written by him, uh, known as the wisest man in all the Old Testament. Uh, First King says he wrote about three thousand proverbs, and um, essentially the main theme of Proverbs. One of them is wisdom. Who in here needs wisdom? That be me. I need that. We all need wisdom, but we need godly wisdom. And so, wisdom essentially is knowing, understanding, and applying heavenly principles for all of our earthly living. And so, all our relationships, all our decisions, all our areas of life. Uh, what does Scripture say? What does God's word say? What's fitting for the moment? That the Lord, the mind of the Lord, essentially. And so. Um, Proverbs, I would like to say it's like an owner's manual for life. It's very, very practical. So like an owner's manual, it explains what needs to be done to avoid serious problems, but it doesn't guarantee that problems won't happen. And so it really just prepares you for when those problems do happen. And so we can kind of see the whole Bible as wisdom. Some, some have said that the Old Testament is for our learning, the New Testament's for our living, but the whole Bible is for wisdom. Wisdom to live out God's mind here on earth. The word proverb is actually a compound word. It means to rule or to govern. Proverbs is basically a, w- a wisdom holder. So if any of you in here, uh, I like to say, hey, if you, if you take the whiz out of wisdom, all you have is dumb, right? <laughs> And so you want to keep them both together. And so if you don't have Jesus in there, you, you're taking the whiz out of wisdom. So we want, to, we want to keep whiz in wisdom so that we can walk in a manner that's honoring to the Lord. Uh, another theme is wisdom versus folly, righteousness versus wickedness, and diligence versus laziness. So we see a lot of those themes throughout the book of Proverbs. I usually encourage people in our youth, I say, look, a proverb a day keeps the foolishness away. There's 31 of them, you know, on those days of 30, read two and then start it all over and just continuously read through them. I try to read five Psalms and one proverb a day. It's really helpful, (laughs) very, very helpful. And so that's the encouragement there. Um, So we can see the world in the book, the world is is a battleground between wisdom and folly, righteousness and wickedness, good and evil. And this reality is personified lady wisdom and then uh, harlot folly. So it's characterized as people in this, and it's and wisdom is going to be Jesus, of course. Uh, Lady Folly is going to be Satan. So you'll see that characterized within the book. However, one cannot get this wisdom, godly wisdom, with Jesus, right? Wisdom, not just the dumb. You can't get it without something called the fear of the Lord. You guys heard that phrase before, term? I hope you all know it and understand it. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 8.13, Proverbs 9.10, Psalm 111.10, Ecclesiastes 12:13, Job 28:28 28, 28 all talk about the fear of the Lord. So this is mainly outlined in chapters 1 through 9 where wisdom is personified. Some of those verses I'll just read to them so you guys can hear it. Uh, Proverbs 9:10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy one is understanding. Ecclesiastes 12:13 for you note takers. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. And then one of my all-time favorites, Proverbs four seven: Wisdom is the principal thing. Uh, in however, in wisdom get understanding, and all you' get in wisdom, get wisdom, and all you're getting get an understanding. So, the fear of the Lord can be summed up. And this is just my how I understand it. The fear of the Lord can be summed up as a reverential submission to the Lord that leads to a life of love. Worship and obedience to God, and so you can only have the fear of Lord one by being born again. You gotta be saved. You're not gonna fear. That's one of the uh, characteristics of the ungodly in Romans one is that they there's no fear of God before their eyes. And so there, you need to be born again to even have a fear of the Lord because you have to know Him, right? And so, the first step is knowing Him, and secondly, if you knowing Him doesn't result to you surrendering to Him, then I question if you know Him. Does that make sense? If I know him, I grow in the grace and knowledge and my obedience to the Lord. Um, I would characterize when people say, well, I fear God, I know if I make a mistake then he's gonna drop his hammer on me. No, no, that's not not a healthy fear of the Lord. I like to say uh, a healthy fear of the Lord is being afraid of disappointing him, is not wanting to displease or dishonor him. That is the attitude that a healthy fear of the Lord is going to cultivate. Second Corinthians 5.9, it says, Therefore, whether present or absent, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him. That's the fear of the Lord, right? That's what we should, as Christians, operate in. Growing hatred for sin, you who fear the Lord hate evil. So, really quick on the outline. I'll go through that quickly so we get directly to the text. I tell the message, safeguarding our relationship with Jesus So Solomon is actually writing to his son over and over in here. He tells his son, hear my words, listen to me, heed my words, hear my instruction, understand what I'm saying. And in this chapter, he's outlining a way to safeguard his relationship basically with himself, but it really it's with the Lord essentially. So some points here that we're gonna see, uh, point number one is treasure God's word inside your heart. As a married man, there's certain things I don't do, right? That's because I've treasured certain things in my mind that keep me from destroying my marriage, right? And so for me, treasuring the word of God keeps me out of trouble, right? When I know that the word of God says, keep your eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me according to your word in Psalm 119, right? Where the word of God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Part of how we can safeguard a relationship is knowing what the truth of God's word says to keep us from harm. Amen? Part That's very, very key. But we have to value that. It's been said that um, whatever you don't value, you will minimize. And so we can see that in how we spend our time, right? If we spend a lot of time doing the things that we love and the things that uh, we have an attraction to, and it's not pertaining to the kingdom of God, then we see where where our heart is, right? Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So we need to treasure God's word inside our heart. Secondly, we need to embrace the Lord's guidance as he orders your steps. How many of you guys like to be told what to do? Let be none of us, right, amen. So don't look at it as God telling you what to do, but him guiding you in the path of protecting you and what's best for you. And if you're a parent, you understand that because that should be the same perspective you have for your child. But if you are a child, you don't like that, right? We're children of God. And so it's not always easy for us to embrace where God is directing us, but we'll see in the proverb that when we embrace his guidance, it's all about how we respond, the attitude we respond in. And so, a question we ask is, how do you respond to the Lord's commands? Are they pleasant or are they sour? Oh, no, I don't want to do that, Lord. Apologize? Ask forgiveness? No, oh, I didn't do anything wrong, right? The Bible, Jesus said that all who are of my word, all who are of the truth, hear my voice, right? And he who hears my voice, they follow me. I know them. We have to ask ourselves, what's our attitude towards the commands of the Lord? Are they a killjoy? Are they burdensome? Or are they joyous? The psalmist says, I rejoice at your word as one who has found a great treasure. So is the word of God a great treasure to us or is it simply a speed bump, right? I pray it would not be a speed bump. Thirdly, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Like we could preach every day on that, every day. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. The Bible says, what fellowship have darkness have with light? Paul later says, come out, come out from among them and be ye separate, save the Lord. And so we're called to be salt and light and we're called to be set apart, but we're not called to yoke up with ungodly counsel. And lastly, we need to remember God's blessings upon our life. When our relationship with the Lord, we can constantly look at the things that are going wrong. That's pretty easy. All oh, that happened today, and then that happened. I would encourage you guys, and something I found helpful for me is I constantly thank God all throughout the day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for life. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for all the relationships. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the cross of Calvary, right? Thank you for heaven, your word. Thank you for my wife. Yes, Lord. Um, you know, I found that that's been extremely uh, beneficial in my relationship with the Lord because the enemy wants you to focus on the things you don't have and whatnot, but God wants us to focus on what he's already done for us. Amen? All right, let's get into the word. First point, be treasure God's word inside your heart. Let's read the script. Verse one, my son, if... If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. So notice he starts off with if, but he's talking to his son. He says "If you receive my words and treasure my commands within you. So from, from chapter one, Solomon continues his instructing of his son to receive his words and his commands. See, wisdom can never benefit us, and counsel can never benefit us, and instruction can never benefit us if you don't receive it. I always tell people, you're only as good as the counsel you have around you, but even further, you're only as good as the counsel you use. And so essentially, he's saying, Hey, if you receive them, they're here for you. I'm instructing you. I have all the wisdom. At this point, he did, but later on, different story. At this point, he did, and he says, I'm, I'm giving this to you for you to receive. If you receive it, this is what's going to happen. I like, just like the gospel, if you receive it, right? It's offered to every single person. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, but it, the gospel calls for each individual to respond. So the gospel goes out and people, eh, I'm okay, I'm good, right? It doesn't benefit you if you don't receive it. So Solomon is telling his son, hey, if you receive it, then my words, and treasure my commands. The word receive means to take hold of, capture, to seize. Treasure means to protect, hide, store up. As the psalmist said, I've hidden thy word inside my heart. Parents, soon-to-be parents, grandparents, anyone who instructs those that they love, I encourage you guys to be persistent. I encourage you guys not to grow weary because we're going to see an example of Solomon from chapters 1 through 10. He's constantly being persistent on instructing his son in the way of righteousness. Now you have to ask, well, why does he keep doing that so many times? Why? You guys know why? You guys who have kids know why? Because kids are hard-headed. They don't listen, right? But never underestimate the planting of the seed, right? You just keep planting it and keep planting it. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to cultivate it the Bible says one plants and one waters, and then God gives increase. And so be persistent. Parents and grandparents and soon-to-be parents, don't give up. You're planting seeds of the Lord that, that someday someone else is going to water. And so he continues, he commands, he says, treasure my commands within you. And I think about the psalmist in uh, 119.62. He says, I rejoice in your word as one who has found a great treasure and I says, as I said earlier, Matthew 6:21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What things do you value? What things are important to you? What are some things that we store up and hide? It's usually things that are important to us. How many of you guys in here lock your house? Lock your door, right? I do, right? If you don't, keep your hand. You know, just say you do. You know, somebody might be looking around, right? But you lock it because it's important to you (laughs) and you don't want anybody to break in and steal it, right? So the things that you value, you protect, right? And so Solomon's instructing his son to value these words, protect them, seize them, hold on to them because they're very, very, very important. Anything we go the extra mile to protect has value to it. Some things, main thing is our time, our words, you guys know time and words are the only thing you can't get back once you spend them, and money, right? Money, time, and words. You guys said something, and say, oh, wait, can I have that back, please? Have you done that? You can't. Once you say it, it's gone. Once you spend it, it's gone, right? So those are things that we need to protect and value. And family, jobs, those are things that we go to protect. I think about the parable of the talents. Um, you know, they, one guy put it under, buried it, right? It wasn't that important to him. I was scared of the Lord. The Lord gave him no reason to be scared, right? But things that we protect, we value. Now, I'm thoroughly convinced and persuaded at this point that there's nothing more valuable or more important than our relationship with the Lord. And so some questions we have to ask ourselves, what safeguards have we set up to guard and protect our relationship with the Lord? See, saints in our lives, we have many, many voices. We obviously have the voice in our head called the conscience, right? Holy Spirit. But there's also voices such as influences, TV shows, music we listen to, a company that we keep. Um, we can be in the store. We can hear certain things. All those are voices and influencing them. Knowing what voice to heed as good and helpful versus bad and harmful will come from the Holy Spirit. We call that discernment, right? Discernment, realistically, though, isn't just knowing right from wrong. Little kids know right from wrong. That's easy. Here's where the hard part is. Knowing right from almost right. It sounds just, that sounds about, you know how we know that? All the cults. Do you think if people knew for sure that they were lies and cults, that they would follow it? No. What happens is they, they use all the same terminology. Jesus, salvation, uh, the blood of the lamb, God. All the same terminologies that sound almost but we need discernment to discern the difference. We all need to take a personal inventory of that which is most important to us, and then we need to assess it. Does it have to do with the kingdom of God or not? And if it doesn't, I think you guys, would encourage you guys to surrender that to the Lord. Verse two, he says, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. The NLT reads this way, Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. This is what we call climactic parallelism, where it builds upon each line. And so he's going, he's going from one section to receive treasure to now incline and impl- apply. And essentially, Solomon is building on his last statement from receiving treasure to now incline and apply. We call this progressive. So we must start somewhere and build from there. So Jesus, I love how he, uh, thinks think it's in Matthew where he likens the one who hears his words and does it to the person who built their house upon the rock. The foundation was the word of God and he built upon it from there. So he says, incline. Solomon says, tune. You guys know tune a radio, right? Tune your hearing to that of my words with the purpose of understanding. So how many of you guys have, I come across this a lot, Certain people, they only want to listen to rebuttal you. Okay? They don't, they don't really want to listen to understand. They just want to listen to find something wrong so they can tell you you're wrong, right? This is not what Solomon's saying. All, although sometimes we do that, we just want to hear so we can respond. He's saying, no, the purpose for you to tune in is for you to understand. The purpose for you to hear what I'm saying is for you to understand it and apply it to your life. And so, I know uh, I was recently speaking to, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Tim, has said that we had baptized, I don't even know how many. It was, it was a lot. It might have been the hundreds today, by the grace of God, here on the field here at the school. And we had pastors from different churches and parents and kids all getting baptized. It was a glorious day. But through the past four or five months, I've, I've had many conversations with people about baptism. And there was a young student who professed Christ and wanted to get baptized, and they were, they were for sure, like, this is what it was. And then they recently came into my office like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, and their mind was already made up. I'm feeling like, you know, I don't, I don't think it's the right time for me, you know. And, and I listened. And I just encouraged that student. I said, hey, typically if we um, say we feel or I don't think, right? I go, typically that's not of the Lord because we have clear word in Scripture about what we should do, right? And the Bible says that if you believe, if you confess with your mouth and believe in, believe in your heart that God, uh, Jesus raised from the dead, you're saved. And the next step is baptism, right? And so if you say, yeah, I've done that, but I don't want to get baptized, you, that's not from the Lord. And I kid you not, I couldn't finish any sins before. Why well, feel, Why well, feel. Well, then if I do it and I don't feel it, then it's not right. And it was just a rebuttal. It, it wasn't even hearing me to understand. And I just encouraged that student, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, just seek the Lord. Just seek the Lord. But it was very hard to get to someone who only wants to rebuttal you. Solomon does, Solomon's instructing his son in the way for understanding, not to just rebuttal. And, I, and for me, I have to think sometimes, do I read scripture to try to find a way out of things? Do I read it to try to find my way into things, or do I read it for understanding? Solomon wants his son to understand. That word incline, it means be attentive. Listen. Apply, it means cause to yield. And heart, it means your Will. Oh, that's so hard. The will. It's an exchange, ladies and gentlemen. In order to pray, Lord, your will be done, you must be willing to surrender your own. And that's the question every time we bow before the Lord. Whose will am I going to surrender? Mine or the Lord? Solomon says, apply your heart, which is your will, to understanding and the purpose for heeding the wisdom and causing your will to bend to his. This means there must be effort involved. This requires us to act. I believe truly that if we're faithful with the practical things, God is faithful with the supernatural. Give me an example. Glad you asked. Jordan River, right? Now, mind you, just delivered, generation delivered uh, out of Egypt. Red sea split. Okay, Moses put the cat, Red Sea, they saw all that. And the generation that didn't, they heard about it, right? Jordan River, Lord, what you? they're doubting again. Just put your foot in the river. Just, just, just step. That's practical, okay? Just, just open your Bible. Just read it. Practical, right? We see in scripture that when we are faithful with the practical things, God is faithful with the supernatural, Foot in the Jordan River, river splits. Meditate on God's word, you get wisdom. Wow, amazing how that works. Noah, just build the boat, boss. Just build the boat. That's it. I'll be faithful to flood this land, but build the boat, right? Practical, very practical. We need to be faithful in the things that are practical. So he says, Solomon is telling his son, Incline your ear and apply effort. Do the practical things. On your outline, value his word and time spent with him. Verse three in your Bible. He says, yes, if, notice these ifs, these are conditions. If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, I'm sorry, lift up your voice for understanding, and the NLT reads, cry out for insight and ask for, for understanding. We talked about discernment earlier, knowing the difference between right and almost right, very, very important. And we talked about the false cults and doctrines that people are easily swayed, and they don't do it because it's blatantly and obviously a lie, but because it's so close to the truth. There's so many truths in them. I don't know if you guys have heard it said, it says the biggest lies have the most amount of truth. They're so believable, right? Solomon says, you need to cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. The repeated theme of wisdom in this book, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, the word of God places significant value on these elements. I've learned that when things are often repeated, they're very, very important. One of them is do not fear. Oh, really? How many times is that? Over 366. One for each day, yeah, good point. Over and over because we need it and it's important. So God over and over commands us, do not be afraid. Do not be fearful. And what do we do? We're afraid and we're fearful, right? So we need to heed these repetition within scripture. He makes it clear, these repeated phrases. And then he goes to verse four and he says, if, once again a condition, if you seek her as silver, that's wisdom by the way, and search for her as for hidden treasures, this her is personified as wisdom, and this wisdom essentially is the Lord, it's Jesus. The word seek means to search out, to ask, request. See, back then, both gold and silver were a hot commodity in that time. <clears throat> Those of you who are familiar with coal mining is that the coal miner would dig and search for gold and silver. It wasn't something that just fell, fell into their hands. They had to actually apply effort, use particular tools. They had to dig and actually work to find these things. And Solomon says, if you do that and with that same effort, like someone would do for coal mining, that is going to be very, very, very beneficial. It's been said, whatever we value, we maximize. And whatever we don't value, we minimize. And we have to look at where we spend most of our time. Saints, I really believe this is a picture of how we're to be searching and digging in the word of God. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees, I believe he said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, but they are those which testify of me. What was their folly? They were not searching the scriptures for understanding. They were not digging deep into the word of God. You know, the scripture says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search them out. I think about an example of a young man who came to Socrates. Some of you guys may uh, have heard this before. You guys know who Socrates was? I bet you guys didn't meet him personally, obviously, but you heard about him, right? (laughs) Yeah, Socrates, however you want to pronounce it. Potato, potato, right? Um, But yeah, you guys heard him. So there was a story about uh, a young man coming to him and asking him, you know, Socrates, hey, give me wisdom, give me understanding because you're just this wise man, right? And so Socrates or Socrates, okay, all right. I I guess, I don't know. So he took him to the ocean And then he put him in the ocean and then like, you know, the guy's probably thinking like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I want, I need wisdom and understanding. Why am I in the ocean? What are you doing? And then Socrates shoved him under the water. And you could probably imagine this time, like, he lost it. Like, this dude's crazy. What what was I thinking? He's not wise, he's dumb, he's crazy, right? And he basically held him under there until until the young man forced himself back up. And he said, man, what are you doing? You almost killed me. He says, you wanted to breathe, didn't you? He goes, yes. He goes, well, guess what? Until you get to the point where you want wisdom and understanding as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll find it. And I was like, the, the effort and the desire, that picture right there gives all of us how we should long for the word of God. When I think about that, one of the most famous scripture, Jeremiah 29 11, I hope we, we know it, right? I, therefore I know the plans I have for you, right? Plans are good, not for evil. Just two verses later, verse 13 reads this, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. As bad as you want to breathe. Some of us as bad as we want to eat, right? (laughs) As bad as you want to eat and breathe, then, then you will find me. And so this is the imagery Solomon's giving his son. This is great wisdom. This is phenomenal wisdom. Now, he didn't follow it later, but he gave it. It's good stuff. He gave it. And he's given his son this example that when you search and seek, as hard as you do those other things, then you're you're on the right path. And there's there's a, a saying. He says, how do men seek money? What will they not do to get rich? Reader, seek the salvation of thy soul as earnestly as the covetous man seeks wealth. And be ashamed of thyself if thou be less in earnest after the true riches than he is after perishing wealth. We have to think about, we, we apply effort in a lot of different things, and then I think we cut it short when it comes to the word of God. I'm guilty too, right? I, this comes through me first before it gets to you guys. And so I always have to be reassess, you know what, what are the most important things in my life? The strongest I've been in my walk is when I've been consistent in the word and fellowship with the Lord. And I think that's true for all of us, right? Solomon is instructing his son, on your outline, truly seek and desire to know him more intimately. And that's why I put Jeremiah 29, 13 on there. Uh, Verse five in your Bibles. Then, after all the if, 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 then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. The NLT reads, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. See, Solomon established this principle, the fear of the Lord, back in chapter 1, 1-7 one to be exact. And here he teaches us that without effort to seek, without us doing the practical things, that we will lack in our fear of the Lord. Solomon affirms that if you've done verses 1-4, through four, there's a benefit to being faithful to those commands. I think that's something we have to understand. God doesn't just arbitrarily give us things. Because I'm God, I'm just gonna give that to you. There you go, right? Just because I'm God. There's always a purpose. God is intentional. Every little detail, every little word is intentional in the word of God. See, your growth in the fear of the Lord, we grow in reverence and awe of Him. You know, I think of Joseph and Daniel. They both had so much fear of the Lord. You think Joseph was sold into slavery, ended up in Potiphar's house, right? Now he was alone and Potiphar's wife caught him slipping, right? Now how easy would it have been? Well, nobody's looking. She came on to me. What was I supposed to do, right? How easy would that have been? I'm gonna tell you guys, I strongly believe the reason why he did not is because of the fear of the Lord. And here's why I believe that. His words were, how can I do this wickedness and sin before God? Fear of disappointing him, fear of displeasing him, fear of dishonoring him. That is operating in the fear of the Lord. That's Joseph. Then I think of Daniel, young boy, probably about 14, 15 years old. How easy would it have been just to eat the flaming young? Just eat it. Not a big deal. God will forgive you. He'll forgive you. Make your own orders, make your own spices to go with it. It's okay. I guarantee you, almost 80% of Israel was already defiling themselves. They were living, living large in Babylon. They went to Babylon University, got their names changed, they're parlaying in Babylon, right? How easy would it have been to just ask for forgiveness later, right? But you know what? The fear of the Lord. I've purposed in my heart not to defile myself before Him. The fear of the Lord. This aspect, again, as you grow in your relationship with the Lord, the fear of the Lord will grow as well. The true evidence, the true evidence of us operating in the wisdom and and that uh, knowledge is verse one, we receive the word and hide it in our hearts. Is verse two, if we hear the word and apply it to our way of thinking, As what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. And verse 4, if we dig and search for the deeper things of the word. That is an evidence that we're walking in the fear of the Lord. And then verse 5, it says, then we'll understand and find it in its totality. When we set our hearts to know, understand, and apply the Lord's will to our lives then we'll truly understand what it means to fear the Lord. And I feel like that that aspect is gonna grow with each and every one of us deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's levels to this. Some of us are down here, some of us up here, some of us all over the place, right? And that's okay, just be somewhere, right? Don't be dormant, don't be sitting. When it says knowledge of God, it refers to personal intimacy with him through obedience to his word, This is what's necessary to have a godly life here on earth. Uh, Note takers, Joshua 1.8. I think you guys know the verse. That the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth and there shall meditate on it day and night and then there shall find great success. That's real success, a relationship with the Lord. That's the real picture of success. On your outline, understand true wisdom only comes from the Lord only comes from the Lord. Verse six. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. See, this explains why the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It is is the central aspect of the pursuit of wisdom. True wisdom is found in him and he's the one who gives it. Notice very clear in the text, it says wisdom comes from the Lord and no one else. Not man, not some new source, but the Lord who gives wisdom. I think about, you know, Jesus, when he came on the scene, like a lot of people were surprised. Like no man ever spoke like this before, the Pharisees, right? How does he know so much having never learned? He didn't go to our, he didn't go to our, our synagogues. He didn't go to our colleges. How does he know so much? And Jesus made a bold statement. He said, the queen of the south came, traveled to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He says, No greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is the epitome of wisdom. He's the wisdom personified. He is the ultimate wisdom of God. We are commanded that if you lack wisdom, what? To ask. Is that easy? That easy. But you have to ask in faith and according to the will of God. For your note takers, Isaiah 28:29 says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in judgment. Proverbs twenty-one thirty says that there is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. Why would we seek it anywhere else? Now, the Bible says also in the multitude of counselors there's wisdom and safety, but godly counselors, people you know who are walking with the Lord and their fruit shows that. I, I, I often always question why I get people who come to me and they, they say, oh, well, I, I heard this from so-and-so. Well, how's their fruit? Well, no, they're not a believer. Well, why would you get advice from them? That's like, that's like you going to the grocery store and asking the clerk about cars. That's not their specialty, right? We don't do that. We go to the Word of God, and we go to people who we know are walking with the Lord, and get more than one of them, the multitude of counselors. But it's the Lord that gives wisdom. I love how Solomon makes it clear. Both the source and the supremacy of wisdom is the Lord. Very clear, the Lord. I think of some examples of people who try to defy the wisdom of God. Um, I might date myself a little bit, but I think some of you guys might have me. Uh, Titanic, right? I don't know if you guys remember, but the I think it was the, the guy who created the Titanic. He's like, not even God could sink this ship. The ship went down. <laughs> ship went down, right? Then I think of uh, the Syrian King Sennacherib, right? He laughed. Isaiah, you're an idiot, right? No army has come against me and won. And then one angel, 185,000 Syrians, one night. Thought you can go against the wisdom of the Lord, right? And then I remember in my own personal life, someone told my grandma, and this is, I, I don't know how young I was, but someone told my grandma when my mom was on drugs that not even God could deliver my mom from drugs. And now, by the grace of God, she's been clean for over 25 years, born again, doing kingdom work, and again, it's the Lord, right? No counsel goes against him, and everyone who has tried has failed miserably. So we need to get our wisdom from the Lord. No counsel stands against his. It comes from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. The next part of the verse says, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, See, the most significant way God gives us wisdom is from the words of his mouth. It's the most significant way. I haven't heard from God. I was waiting for a message. I wanted him to speak to me clearly. It doesn't get any clearer than this. It doesn't. Just read it, right? Straight off the script. It's been said that God's, the Bible is so much God's word that as it, when it speaks, he speaks. That's how clear it comes See, his word reveals knowledge and understanding. I think of Job uh, twenty three twelve. He says, I treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. The words of your mouth. Once again, the emphasis on God's word, this is all Jesus. The Bible says he is the spoken word. He's the word of life. He's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the volume of the book that is written of him. He said, search the scriptures because they testify of me. This is very clear, right? This is great wisdom Solomon is giving his son. And it's great jewels that we can collect as well. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Amen? Yeah, it's good stuff. Verse 7, your Bibles. He then says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield through those who walk uprightly. See, it's in his word, it's stored sound wisdom for those who have built their house upon it, for those who read it and meditate on it. It's been said that backsliding begins with a dusty Bible or an unused app on the phone you just don't use, right? But when we neglect God's word, trouble ensues, right? Solomon is basically saying the word of God is a unique treasure chest with spiritual riches, jewels, and heavenly wisdom. He wants his son to know, cherish, and use the word of God for his life. Think about a treasure chest, right? You have important, valuable jewels within it. He says the word of God is like that. All the access is in there, but you got to open it and you got to use it. All that comes from the Lord. He then says that it's a shield to those who walk uprightly. Now shield, we think of God's word as a shield from false doctrine, untrue thoughts and feelings, and a natural armor. And so when I thought about a shield, I like, you know, let me go look at what, like, what is even the purpose of a shield? And so the shield was the most widespread defensive weapon in the world at some point in time. It protected a warrior from its, his enemy's blows And can be used to deflect thrown spears and other missiles. Although a simple stick used to ward off a blow could be considered a shield, a true shield always had some form of grip. You have to hold on to it, right? If you hold loosely to the shield, when the darts come, the shield falls out of your hand. So when I think about that, I also think of the full armor of God, is that we're called to put on the spiritual armor of God, starting with the helmet of salvation, and then the breastplate of righteousness, and then the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the sword, the spirit, the word of God. And then of course, you have to be ready to share the good news. But Solomon is is equipping his son for battle. I constantly ask, what does God's word say? Now at this point, like I talk to so many people about the Lord, I honestly do not remember what I say unless somebody reminds me. And I constantly, people are constantly challenging certain things. And I've just gotten to the point where I said, okay, if you can show me in the Word of God, I will bow. If you can show me in context, I'll bow. And I haven't had many to say, okay, here it is, right? Because a lot of the time, Satan doesn't want to battle with this if you know it. He doesn't want to do that. he rather use manipulative tactics. But if you don't have the full armor of God on and you're not standing, you'll fall for anything. Solomon does not want his son to fall. And neither does the Lord want us to fall. Verse eight says he guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. In the previous verse, he stores up wisdom as it, and is a shield. Verse eight: He guards the path of justice and he preserves the way of the saints. It means he keeps you from danger and watches over you. The Word of God. Solomon says to his son: The Lord keeps us from harm, preserves our way. When and if we operate in his wisdom, again, you're only as good as the counsel you use. If we operate in that, then there's safety. So his commands, essentially, they're not a killjoy. I hear it all the time if I'm a Christian, I can't have fun, all my fun is gone. It's just no, it's not there. It's gone. I can't be a Christian. There's no roller coasters. There's no getting high and drunk. I can't do it. Life, what would life be without those things? You'd have peace without those things, yeah. right? <laughs> the Bible says who, linger, who has redness of the eyes, right? Who has woe, who has sorrow? Those who linger long at the wine, right? Those things cause problems. And so Solomon is saying, guess what? These are not a killjoy, but they're actually there to keep you from the things that will kill your joy, right? They keep you from harm. There's a story of a father who, he had his two kids playing on a playground, which they're supposed to do. And they start throwing rocks at each other. They end up running out of rocks. And he tells them, make sure you guys stay in the playground. Don't go across the street where the bridge is. And so kids listened so well um, that they went across the street anyway to go find the rocks. One of the kids fell and broke both of his ankles. And it took that for him to realize that all his father wanted him to do was be, play within the confounds of safety. True fun was at the playground, not across the street, jumping off the bridge. And he had to get that example, right? God's discipline. Get that example to find out that God's commands keeps you safe. And it's actually fun if you stay within the boundaries of his word, right? This is what Solomon's saying. It guards you and it is a shield. Verse 9 says, then you will understand righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. See, Solomon's essentially saying that after all that is when we will gain understanding and discern the steps the Lord has ordained for us. See, it's progressional. It takes time, right? It's been said that he who is taught of God understands the whole law of justice, mercy, righteousness, and truth. God has written this on his heart. I love, again, the psalmist, we de- I delight to do your will, O God. Why? Because your law is within my heart. When the, when the Holy Spirit, when God's law and his word is on your heart, a lot of things make more sense to you. I, I, always, I give the example of, um, my t- when I tell youth the example of God's law within your heart and then God's law out, out of your heart of a police officer, are you more apt to follow what's your attitude towards a police officer at the corner or you being in the car with them? Right? Are you, are you more apt to follow the law with your attitude? If I'm in the car with them, oh, we cool, right? I'm with you. I know I got to follow the law, right? But if I see you at the street, I'm like, uh, is he there still? I might pass the stop. Oh, he's there. Okay, right? There's a difference when it's close and near to where it's far and away. And when it's close and near, you obey it out of adoration. You don't have to be afraid because there's a relationship there. Solomon says, after all this, then you will understand all these things, well, I think it was Micah who said, prophet, he says, what is the Lord God required of you to what? Love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly before your God. That's what he's required of us, but only the Holy Spirit. Last point, I mean, last bullet point on point one, put on the full armor of God is for protection. God is always trying to keep us from harm. If we would understand that, and me as a father, like, I wish my kids would understand that, um, I'm considered the most overprotective, tyrannical dad on the planet. Kid you're not. But I'm also, they also told me the most godly person in their life. So I'll take that, right? I'll take them both. I'm tyrannical, but I'm godly. I'll take it, right? I'll take it, amen. But I always try to drive like, look, I can see a lot further down the road than you guys can. So when I'm telling you something, it's because I already see it. Your eyes are still a little blurry. You're growing. And that's, with us, it's the same thing. God says, look, I already see where that's going to lead you. So let's just not do that. And we say, no, God I, God, I can see it. And then we break our ankles, right? And we have to find out we should have stayed on the playground, you know? We should have stayed on the playground, right? A playground of God's word. So verse 10 and uh, point number two, embrace the Lord's guidance as he orders your steps. Now I'm going to steamroll through these. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, He's, Solomon essentially says the, there is a result when wisdom hits the mark. The result is we value it and it's desirable to us. Therefore, we're invited by scripture to taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed are all those who trust in him. It's been said we can tell a lot about a person in their walk by how they respond to the word of God. We can always tell. I've always learned there's three people in every crowd, hopefully not in this one, but the serious, right? Those who love the Lord, they want more, can't get enough. The curious, those who are like, "Ah, I'm a little bit, I I think I'm gonna scroll a little bit while you're preaching. You know what I mean? And then those who are just absolutely furious at the word of God. They don't wanna hear it. It's completely an abomination to them. They don't like it. We see those three in every crowd. But how you respond to the word of God says a lot about you, right? Can the word of God correct you, right? Can the word of God, can it, can you rejoice in the word of God as much as when it uplifts you? as when it corrects you. We should be able to rejoice in both, knowing that they both draw us closer to the Lord. I remember when I first came to Calvary, now it's been years ago, there's only a few left from the original crew. Uh, Thank God for when I first started preaching, there's not many left from there. So, um, but I remember when I, uh, I, I think I'd heard Pastor Dave on the radio, I just didn't know it was him, so I heard a lot of people. And so I remember coming to the church and, you know, uh, one of my brother in Christ like, hey dude, there's, there's this, this is what he said, there's this white guy who preached the Bible for an hour in the gym. I'm like, the, he preached the whole, nah bro, no one's preaching the whole Bible, like, no you're not. So I remember going, and I remember when I first came, it was just that, line upon line, directly from the word of God, and I remember rejoicing, because I'm like, this is in the book. It's here, there's no nonsense. There's, it's, I read that the other day, I was meditating on that last week, it's in the book. And my heart rejoiced at that. And it said a lot about where I was in my walk because I heard the word of God and I rejoiced. And not all of it was, was roses, you know, but every aspect I rejoiced because it was the word of God. And saints, we have to ask, how do we respond when we hear the word of God? I would hope and pray that you guys rejoice no matter what section it falls under. You know, first, I think it's uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. It says all scripture is profitable, right? For a doctrine, what is right for reproof, what's not right, for correction, how to get right, and then instructions, how to stay right. Like all those, whatever category it falls in, do we rejoice? Solomon says that's the result when you value it. And that's what he's calling calling his son to do. How do we respond to the Lord's commands? Are they pleasant or are they sour? I hope they're pleasant. Verse 11, he says, discretion will keep you, well, I'm sorry, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you. Discretion will preserve and understanding will keep. This means from foolish choices. How many times have we made the same choice over and over? We're all guilty. Stop Stop backing like, you know, okay, it's okay. We're all guilty of making sometimes the same mistake over and over, just in a different way sometimes. We always must make choices in light of what scripture says. When I counsel many people, I always just, okay, what, what, just look in the mirror of Scripture. What, is, what does Scripture say? Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, that's, that should be our first, you know. When we get so used to just operating and not thinking, we need to train our minds to go back to what does the Scripture say? I love how the Apostle Paul says, what does the Scripture say? What does the Scripture say? So what does the Scripture say? Solomon, again, is outlining how God's wisdom and His Word keep us safe, from that which would harm our relationships, not only with people, but also with the Lord. I think of King David with Bathsheba. He had plenty of opportunities. He said, man, that's Uriah's wife. There's, number one, I don't care, bring her. Right? Unfortunate. I remember uh, recently, one of a, a coach was talking to one of the youth. The youth was struggling. This coach uh, had a rough life, grew up in L.A., And I remember him telling him, he said, hey, you don't want to learn like I had to learn. See, I had to learn through prison. I'm hoping that you can take heed and make better choices now. Solomon is making it very clear. You don't want to make or have to learn from a very detrimental circumstance like prison. You don't want to do that. Learn from what the word of God says now. May we rejoice at his words. Psalm 119, 162 says, I rejoice at your word as one who has found a great treasure. May we rejoice at that. Point number three walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Verse 12, he continues to said, To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness who rejoice in doing evil and delight in perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. Let's find all the godly characteristics. Ready? Go. There's none. There's none. All these are ungodly characteristics that Solomon says, if you obey verses one through 10, it will deliver you from the people in these verses. Verse 12 says, way of evil and a man who speaks perverse things. Verse 13 says they leave the path of uprightness and walk in the way of darkness. Verse 14 says they rejoice in doing evil and delight in perversity of the wicked. Verse 15 says their ways are crooked and are devious in their paths. Why in the world would we want to have friends and influences with these type of characteristics? Why? But saints it's not just people. It's really influences. It's influences. What are you entertained by? What type of music and shows do we watch? I know everybody's going crazy over the music awards, right? They saw someone get slapped right in the middle. Everybody's talking about it. It was just the main thing. If you guys didn't see it, you'll, you'll hear it. But people are entertained by stuff like that. Ungodly. We're allowing that to influence us. See, the Bible says we're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The Bible actually says you're blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, do they meditate day and night? And it goes on and says they're like a tree planet, but they're not the ones who walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Number, one of the number one conflicts that young people have when I talk to them is ungodly influences. How do I stay away from these friends that are, that are doing this? And how do I, how do I keep, what do, what do I do? I said, first, you have to realize that you're a child of God and you're called to be different. Secondly, you have to realize that there's really no fellowship with light and darkness. And I love Paul's exhortation. I think it's 2 Corinthians 6. He says, come out, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And I will be your God, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. But the calling is to be separate from them. You can still minister to them, but not have fellowship with them. This pierced my soul when I heard this. A pastor said the, the, the Bible verse, the, most Bible, the Bible verse in Scripture that, that is least believed is 1 Corinthians 15:30. That bad company corrupts good morals. He says the least believed because we allow so much ungodly influences to come into our home. We allow so many ungodly influences to come into our phones. We allow so many ungodly influences to be entertained by. If we really believe that verse, we would filter these things through scripture, right? Through the word of God. I'm not being a legalist, this is obedience, right? Those things are harmful to all our relationships. Do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. It's been said, and this helps me a lot, this phrase. It's been said that those who would not fall down ought not walk in slippery places. Saints, we cannot light fire to our pants and not get burned. Right. But a lot of us walk in slippery places. Each and every one of us in here, we have to know where our slippery places are. And we have to set a safeguard over that because you cannot test the Lord thy God. Well, oh, I know I can go over here if I'm out for a recovering alcoholic, I can go to the bar because the Lord's going to protect me. That's testing the Lord thy God. That is a slippery place for an alcoholic, right? Don't go there. Be wise. This is essentially the exhortation that Solomon is getting. Bad company corrupts morals. I remember growing up. I grew up in the west side of Oxnard. I went to school with a lot of gang members. I went to school with a lot of people who committed crimes lots of them all the time their main thing was they wanted to be a part of a family they, they knew something was missing but once they got into that gang life they could not get away from those influences and the there was two ways out it was dead or it was in jail or so most of them believed but every time it was well my dad was a gang member and my grandfather was a gang member and that's all they knew but those were their main sources of influence And they couldn't get out. Influence has so much to do with our walk with the Lord. Solomon mentions the fruit of God's protection from walking in his wisdom. See, you will value the Lord's commands over pleasing man. So we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, come out from among them. And we'll, on to the last point. Oh, no, I'm sorry, still on this point. Verse Sixteen. So we looked at God, ungodly fellowship. Now he's talking, his warning his son about the ungodly woman. Bum, bum, bum. And it reads, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house leads down to death, her path to the dead, none who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. There's your Proverbs 31 right there, y'all. That's your Proverbs 31 woman. Not. That is not her. That is the opposite of a Proverbs 31. See, he warns his son solemnly about the ungodly, immoral woman. Gentlemen, you already know women have been man's decline since the beginning of time. Let's do a recap. Adam, Samson, David, Solomon. Adam, Samson, David, and Solomon all had issues with women. And I mean, that's just a small, we can go down history and even right now That for some reason, men have been always weak to women, to the words, to how they respond to those relationships. We don't know why. We'll find out in heaven, right? We don't know why. But it's interesting that in this entire, that Solomon gives, there's no godly characteristics, none. Oftentimes, though, in relationships, they yoke up with unequally yoked all the time. And I've heard all the excuses. Well, I'm, God told me in the vision that I'm supposed to save them. Is that before or after the relationship? Like, which, where does, when does that come? Right? We tend to constantly, how I can tell that I'm, I'm veering outside the, the will of God is when I try to justify what I'm doing, right? The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. There's no excuse for that. It's just not there, right? It's not. I can't go and say, well, you know, I I know, Lord, the Bible says that, but I know I'm an exception. You're not an exception. Sorry, (laughs) we're not exceptions. It just leads to destruction. Being unequally yoked is very, very destructive. And so Solomon warns about this seductress, flatters with her words, forsakes her companion, so she's not loyal, forgets the covenant of her God, doubt she saved, her house leads to death, her paths to the dead, and then none who go to her return, nor do they regain the past of life. I can't tell you guys how many times I've, I've come across people who have been, their lives have been con- completely destroyed, not just by women, men too, um, both sides, it goes both ways, it's an even playing field, men and women, even playing field, but their lives have been destroyed by ungodly relationships. They end up having babies with five or six other people, and they just keep making those same poor decisions and who they yoke up with. Now, of course, God is forgiving. God is graceful. God is merciful. What I'm finding more and more, you can choose the sin all you want. You can roll it like a lottery pick, but you will not have anything to do with those consequences. Those consequences come from the Lord. You cannot gamble and gamble. Okay, if I do this, then I know the consequence is going to be that. I can, you can't gamble. You cannot choose the consequences. You will have to deal with those. So it's better, saints, if we just obey the Lord, right? If you're looking for those of you who are single, if you're looking for a godly spouse, stay away from this list. Both sides. Stay away from the list. You can go to Proverbs 31 for a woman. You can go to, uh, you know, Titus 2 for a man. You could, there's, there's other places you can go for an example of a godly person. And if you're not that well versed, then I would ask: Is that relationship drawing you closer to the Lord, or further away? Is that relationship look more like what God brought you from, or what God bringing you to? If it looks more like what God brought you from, you need to run, like Joseph. I'm out. I'm out of here. But a lot of our problems stem from ungodly relationships, and for some reason we feel like we're the redeemer. I can redeem them. God has worked so well in my life. I can do it to them. No, Jesus is the Savior, right? Sometimes we, need, we get in the way of God working in people's lives because we think we're the, the missing piece. You can be the missing piece with boundaries, right? It's okay to have boundaries. That's not a bad word. It's a good word. Boundaries are good. And you can pray for that person and minister to them. It's been said, saints, that if you're not more powerful than David, stronger than Samson, and wiser than Solomon, then don't try it, right? <laughs> don't try it. All those guys fell. They all fell to women, all of them. Those influences which we have in our lives, do they look more like what God brought us from, as I said earlier, what he's bringing us to? Closer to the Lord or further away. Solomon is using really solid godly wisdom. Last point. Remember God's blessings. Verse 20. So you may walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land and the blameless will remain in it. Remember the blessed. He says, so you may walk in the way. Remember the way? You know, Jesus said broad is the way that leads to destruction and the masses are going through it. That's why I'm always concerned when a mass people are following a movement. Uh, in the Bible, the masses went the wrong way. It was, it was the, it was the, the minority, right, that went the right way. The masses, nah, I'm always concerned. But straight is the way that leads to life. And they said, very few, like eight souls. Noah, eight, it's probably like 3 million, eight out of 3 million, that very few, very few. But he says, so you may walk in the way. And Solomon concludes that it has to do with our walk with the Lord. The way in which we walk will be honoring to the Lord when we heed the verses in 1 through 12. See, there's blessings in following the Lord. Those of you who have been walking with the Lord, you guys know. There's nothing more pleasurable, there's nothing more fulfilling, there's nothing more honorable than to walk in obedience. There's some people in here who have known God's faithfulness all the days of their life. And there's some that have only known that for a few years. Me, myself, just the past 10 years, I've known the faithfulness of God. Before that, I lived a contrary life. And I learned the hard way I've tried all that stuff. I'm like the woman at the well. I thirst again, right? But when I got the living water, it's a wrap. There was nothing like it. Nothing like it. Solomon is saying, look, embrace the blessings that come with walking in the right way. A lot of times people can get discouraged when they see the wicked people flourishing. Oh, they they live a wicked life and they have money. Their marriage looks all great. Remember, I love the Psalm 79. He says, I saw all these things of the wicked and then I went in the house of the Lord and I saw their end. That it was gonna be judgment and that all that stuff was gonna perish and they were gonna stand before the Lord in judgment and he was gonna judge every thought, every word, every action and they would have no grace to cover them. And then he was reminded of the blessings of following the Lord. Amen? Amen. So when we hide God's word in our hearts, When we search and meditate, when we operate in the fear of the Lord, walking in the Holy Spirit, being mindful of the things that are above and not here on earth, we will be blessed and we will enjoy it. That essentially will be our purpose. And then the last verse, how did my Bible turn? I'm crazy. Hold on, read the last two verses. My page has turned, Holy Spirit must have turned it. I don't remember turning it. Yeah. And the last verse, it says, verse 22, it says, but the wicked, contrast, but, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the unfaithful will be uprooted from it. This speaks of final judgment, saints. This to me is the scariest thing in all of scripture that there's going to be a day, the Bible says, that God is gonna judge the world by the man he has appointed and that's Jesus Christ. And so at the end of the day, the reality is every single one of us in here is gonna face death. All of us. And the Bible makes it very clear that it's appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment. And so, for those of us who have surrendered our life to the Lord, death has no sting, right? Absent from the body, present with the Lord in the fullness of his glory, his presence, and all of his majesty and splendor. But for those that have rejected him and continued to do that, there's a promise of judgment. And God's going to make do on his promise, not because he wants to but because you've chosen that. The Bible says he wills that none shall perish. And so if there's anyone in here now who has not yet accepted the Lord, the message of the cross today is to choose life. The message today is this is the day of salvation, that he has not come to destroy, but to save, to seek and save, the Bible actually says, those who are lost. So if there's anyone in here right now, I want to give you an opportunity. Romans ten nine says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will not face that judgment because Jesus paid for it on the cross of Calvary. It's the best news ever. But you have to receive, like we talked earlier, you have to receive the gospel. If there's anyone in here now, just raise your hand. I'll pray for you. If you're not sure where you're going, if you're not sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have not yet surrendered your life. Anyone in here? Usually Thursday night, everybody's saved for the most part. Yeah, right? Usually, yeah. All right, let's pray. Watch team? come on up. Uh, Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you um, for your faithfulness. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that gives us understanding of your word, Lord. And we pray tonight that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your holy word. And Lord, we pray that uh, your word would take residence in our hearts, that we would meditate on it, that we would treasure it, Lord, that we would long for it. As Job said, I've treasured the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be our heart today, Lord God. We ask for your continued protection over each and every one of us, Lord, and that we would be bold and courageous to proclaim the message of the gospel, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel because it truly is the power of you unto salvation to all who believe. And so, Lord, we pray you will go with us and before us, and we, we can't wait till we worship with you in heaven, and we sing with all the hosts and angels in heavenly, uh, holy, holy, holies, the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, that salvation belongs to our God. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.